0: latest trade numbers show a widening of the U.S. global trade deficit, but this time, imports are not the culprit. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. According to figures published by the U.S. Census Bureau, the U.S. trade deficit reached $63.3 billion in May. That's an increase of 3.8% over the previous month and 1.6% versus a year earlier. And it's at the very high end of economists' expectations for that period. But the numbers don't reflect a usual surge in imports. On the contrary, imports were down by 2.9% over a year earlier. The real reason for the widening deficit was an even bigger drop in exports. Today we'll talk to Chris Rogers, research analyst with Pangeva, who will help us to interpret the numbers and see just where the weakest points of US trade are. We'll look at a number of macro factors including the value of the dollar, interest rates and the impact of the UK's decision to withdraw from the European Union. So let's take a look at the trends behind the numbers in my conversation with Chris Rogers. Chris Rogers, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Paul.
1: It's good to be here.
0: So we're seeing these latest figures on the U.S. global trade deficit, $63.3 billion, a 3.8% increase in May over the previous month, I take it, and 1.6% over a year earlier. What is going on here? This is the very high end of the expectations as to where that number might lead, is it not? It's a pretty big number.
1: It is bob it is a it's a big number indeed, but it's worth bearing in mind it reflects two parts it reflects the import side and it reflects the export side and it's really the performance of exports at the moment that's driving the expansion of the deficit, I think that's going to be something that's not it's not been talked about so much in the elections, but it's something that should be talked about going forward. Um, But as you say correctly, the the deficit is expanding. Um, It's at the highest it's been for uh, quite some time.
0: Yeah, it's a curious thing, too, because in fact, according to your figures here, imports by air and sea, in most cases, were down. The only thing is that exports were down even more. So I guess that is what causes the deficit. Is Am I right in saying that? And do we not sometimes when we talk about the U.S. global trade deficit, most people are talking about imports. They're thinking that and not really paying attention to the export side. Is that correct?
1: That's absolutely correct. And I think it also is maybe an artifact of what we've seen in the, the broader global economy, which is the U.S. has been – much stronger than a lot of other markets it's certainly been stronger than china in relative terms the chinese economy is expanding more but has slowed down whilst the american economy has expanded certainly in europe uh, we've talked about various economies being the sick old man of europe i think unfortunately at the moment the whole of europe is uh, something of a sick old man and a consequence of which is very easy to say america's doing well and we're spending that money on foreign goods we should be spending that money on our own goods without addressing the fact that guess what U.S. exports are are not as strong as arguably they could be. So you know, a domestically led economy is a very positive sign, I would say, um, certainly compared to the rest of the world. But it does express itself in a in a tariff deficit that you know, let's face it, makes a nice easy communication of a, a number when you're out electioneering, rather than having to get into the ins and outs of the export balance and supply chain manager expectations and all that more complex stuff that really properly explains how a deficit evolves over time. Okay,
0: so let's address the 2.9% decrease in imports since June 2015. Where are the weakest points that are causing that fall?
1: It's a pretty broad-based fall we've seen across the board. I think it's very much more in what you might call the old economy material. So airborne freight imports have been going up, and you tend to see that that's much more on the electronic side, the lighter goods, air freight, obviously, the containerized materials, um, and also the bulk items. So by bulk, we're talking here about uh, things like chemicals. Uh, We're talking about energy uh, we're talking about agricultural products. And you can see recent performance in the uh, freight rates. So the, uh, the rates for bulk vessels have come right down. And that really reflects, I think, the, uh, the weakness we're seeing in that kind of Heavy part of the uh, economy. whereas as I said earlier, you know the air freight still looking pretty strong, which would suggest the uh, the consumer goods are doing okay. Um, obviously, from an electronics perspective, this time of year is pretty quiet anyway. Uh, most of the big releases of new products come uh, during the fall to really target the holiday season. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into one month's worth of data, but it does show that whilst the economy overall is doing okay, it is still very much a multi-speed economy.
0: I want to stick with the export discussion for a moment here, talk about some of those sectors that you mentioned. Energy, I guess that is a natural outgrowth of the decline in that industry because of oversupply and prices being low in uh, fuel and oil. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is absolutely correct. And it, it, it you know, it shows itself in, in lots of different places. The irony being, of course, the lower energy prices should drive uh, higher consumer demand. You've got more more money to go out and spend. So from a trade perspective, it kind of acts in both directions. But yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, you've got oversupply. When you're looking at specifically at the US energy industry, there's a lot of what they call drilled but uncompleted wells, oil wells. So every time there's a recovery in energy prices, you see a lot of these wells come back to the market and act as a kind of lid on energy prices and by extension, energy imports.
0: Coal used to be a big deal in our export uh, figures, and I imagine that with the coal industry being in the situation it's in now, that's probably less of a factor
1: uh, for export numbers as well, right? It is absolutely, and um, the the kind of growth of clean energy globally has an impact on that less demand for thermal coal, as it's called, but also the um, weakness we've seen in the iron and steel industries globally. Uh, we see a lot of discussions about steel wars at the moment because of overcapacity. The uh, exports of met coal have uh, come down as well, and you've seen that particularly in other economies. The Australian export situation at the moment is just horrible, and and that's partly being driven by those uh, those heavier commodities on the coal side.
0: What's going on with this 3.9% drop in automotive? That's a little bit distressing because that's a high-end, high-value product that uh, bodes well for the U.S. economy when we're selling automotive uh, parts and,
1: and, and autos abroad. Why the weakness there? I think what you're seeing there is a reflection of kind of weakness in other global economies on the one hand. You see a lot of uh, the consumer surveys out of Europe, out of Asia, uh, uh, quite weak. It's also, I think, just a, a natural reflection of long-term evolutions in the auto supply chain. You're seeing a lot more imports of uh, vehicles into the U.S. from Mexico, for example. So you know, what you're tending to see here, I think, is that some U.S. companies are now producing more overseas rather than producing in the US and then exporting, and you know that that kind of trend is is what's underpinned the, uh, a lot of the election debate around these trade deals. But you know at the end of the day, people are going to go and produce where they can get the lowest cost base. This is a, a very long-term trend as well to the globalization of supply chains. You know you wouldn't ask. Ford to produce all of its vehicles in one country, and you equally wouldn't ask it to produce all of a particular model in one country, um, even though Ford have been quite vocal about um, being against the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, largely because of its rules of origin. But it's fighting a very long-term battle with the Japanese auto manufacturers in that regard. There's nothing new here. It's you know just the latest act in a very, very long play that's been going yes. on there.
0: Aerospace has also had the potential to have a strong impact on U.S. export figures, and I don't see a discussion of that here. Has that been a factor recently? The
1: aerospace exports are very, very lumpy. So effectively, Boeing carries out most of its exports during the month of June um, that's when it, the, a lot of these planes fly out. And you can actually see that in the air freight data. And in fact, in that regard, June was very strong. You saw a, a high single-digit increase in the exports from uh, Seattle-Tacoma Airport, which is where um, a lot of these things are registered as flying from going into Asia. So you know, if anything, I would say aerospace continues to be something of a success for the American economy. And certainly if you look at the performance of Boeing versus Airbus, um, at the recent Farnborough Air Show in terms of signing new orders, they're both doing quite well. Clearly, it's not across the board. You know, Boeing's going to be terminating, uh, production of the 747, but certainly amongst some of its, uh, mid-range jets, um, and those that are more fuel efficient, it's still, uh, still doing very well. So, you know, aerospace, I think, is still a very strong part of the, uh, the U.S. economy, albeit one that's, you know, very focused in the Northwest.
0: Also distressing is your mention of the fact that agricultural exports are down. A very strong aspect of the U.S. export market, but extremely price sensitive. So is that a function of a strong dollar? What else is making our agricultural exports less competitive in global markets?
1: Yeah, so I think it is. It's partly a reflection of um, the strong dollar. It's also, don't forget, um, you've, you've got to produce it to sell it. And I think what you're also seeing here, as we've seen across many, many countries and many, many different agricultural articles is just production levels may be lower. We've certainly seen, um, uh, we've written a lot about the coffee industry, for example. It's not a US export, but you know, that's one that's really been knocked on its heels by uh, the recent, uh, the end of the recent El Nino temperature patterns. So I think that's uh, that's been a part of it. Um, clearly, the strong dollar hasn't helped matters. Um, I would note, though, that most of the, what is it, just over 27% increase we've seen in the dollar on a trade-weighted basis since mid to mid-2011, most of that had happened up until a year ago. Since then, The dollar has drifted up, but you know, it's gone up into the back end of last year. Um, and it's come down again subsequently. So, you know, it's part of the equation. I don't think it's necessarily a huge part of the equation. But again, as I say, you know, agriculture, the issue has been much more about production than necessarily it has been um, about competitiveness per se.
0: Turning to imports now, uh, some curious figures. Overall, as you said before, air import figures were down, but in a couple of instances they were up 11% in air cargo imports to Los Angeles, 7.4% to Miami versus a year. Ago. why those particular anomalies do you think?
1: Um, it could reflect uh, the regional economies. It could also reflect just changes in the supply chains of major operators in those areas. It might also simply reflect a, a temporary effect rather than a longer term change. But I think what it probably does do is tell you a little bit about the strength of those particular economies and also the uh, regional economies, but the mix. Um, I mentioned earlier how um, airborne products are doing better generally across the board because they're more consumer-oriented rather than you know, heavy oriented. What we haven't got yet is data from some of the bigger, more industrial area type airports. So we haven't had Memphis, for example, which is a big hub for uh, intra-US trade. Uh, we also haven't had New York and New Jersey. Um, and what's going on there, without getting too much into nitty gritty, is that some of the airports are not able to report their full statistics because Federal Express have been having some technical uh, issues, hopefully not as bad as the uh, technical issues that Delta had yesterday. <laughs> but you know, it is something that um, you know some of the airports are using estimated figures. Uh, but ones that are heavily reliant on um, on FedEx aren't actually reporting their numbers at the moment. San Francisco, for example, normally reports fairly early, um, and they haven't done because of that. Also curious
0: about the air side. You say that's tied to consumer goods, and in fact, that seems to be the the way it is with with air. On the other hand, air is a premium option, so it's not by any means all consumer goods. It's probably either high value or certain apparel or things that have to get in fast. I'm just wondering what is it that is actually moving by air at that premium price uh, that is causing shippers to still be willing to pay that or or not?
1: Yeah. So I think there's there's a couple parts to it. Um, A big part of it really is where you've got uh, high response supply chains so you know there's been a lot of discussion about um, fashion retailers trying to become more quote-unquote fast fashion and clearly if you're trying to respond uh, particularly at the high end to and not necessarily you know at the, the kind of burberry gucci end but you know more the kind of the mid-range brands commissioning a, a new range of I don't know t-shirts or whatever. You don't necessarily want them sat on a boat for several weeks whilst it goes round the uh, Pacific Rim shipping routes. You know, you want to get it sooner. So, you know, I think the the emergence of that kind of faster fashion is probably there. Um, I think what you're also seeing is you know a desire um, to for for premium goods. Um, on the consumer side, uh, for traditional retailers to respond to, um, the, the growth of the e-commerce retailers. And, you know, as we saw with, um, you know, with Walmart acquiring Jet, you know, the, the older retailers are trying to get some of that savvy. And similarly, we've seen Amazon taking on its own fleet of aircraft as well, which, you know, again is a, a, a reflection of the, the kind of the speeding up of supply chain. So, you know, it may even become, over the longer term, that air freight doesn't just become a premium article thing, it becomes much more reflective of speed of response. Um, I think that's maybe one of the reasons as well why we've, we've seen, um, for example, Wall Street analysts being more optimistic about uh, the airframe manufacturers, because there's going to be demand for air freighters. And, yeah, we have certainly seen the oversupply in the container shipping industry. Maybe part of that is a, reflect- a reflection of less demand in the longer term for that, that kind of heavy, um, heavy slow uh, transport.
0: Now, for all the talk of reshoring that we've heard, the idea that uh, wages and costs in China are going up to the point where supposedly a certain amount of manufacturing is coming back to the Western Hemisphere and in certain cases back to the United States... Is that showing up in, in uh, trade, trade figures or is it still too anecdotal to really have a noticeable impact on, on the bottom line figures?
1: I would say it's too anecdotal. I would also say it's too slow a moving trend to necessarily show up. You know, global trade is, is big and it's messy and um, you know as a consequence of which the month to month data can reflect all kinds of, of different things. I think it's really going to be a couple of years before we see that. I think the other point to make is that as Chinese labor costs go up, uh, Chinese manufacturers aren't necessarily going to lose out competitively to American manufacturers. They'll just move their supply chains. So, you know, we've seen Chinese manufacturers set up in Mexico. We've seen Chinese manufacturers set up in Vietnam. You know, whether that's to take advantage of labor costs or whether it's to... How can we put it politely? Work around rules within uh, particular trade cases. We've seen, for example, in solar energy, uh, Chinese manufacturers like Trina Solar set up in Vietnam, uh, where there effectively hasn't been a trade block against their solar panels. Um, you know that that's that's part of a, a broader trend as well. So I think we've probably still got a few more years in the whole offshoring to access cheaper labor because there's still plenty of cheaper labor out there aside from China um, before you see that kind of tips the other way. At the end of the day, getting exports up um, in a country is much more about innovation than trying to reclaim you know, manufacturing that left here in the, the 70s, 80s and 90s. Turning to Europe, you referred, I
0: believe, to Europe as, a, as the sick man, did you? Or something yes. along those lines. Now we have Brexit, uh, yep. which is the, the, the results of which, or the impact of which is yet to be felt because it was only voted on less than two months ago. Do you expect that to have a long-term impact on the U.S. trade balance? Will it create even more depressed economies in Europe and therefore even less demand for U.S. exports and therefore an even wider trade gap?
1: So I think, from a US perspective, clearly the UK is a, a significant trade partner. Clearly, if there is a recession in the UK, that's going to have a temporary effect. So, just mathematically, it will have an impact on the US trade deficit. Whether it is measurable and significant is, you know, a, a a different matter altogether. Yeah, you know, we had the um the UK trade figures today. They they do show a slowing down. What they also show by the way though is that um you know sterling has become much weaker versus the dollar. That should mean uh, that it's cheap you know British goods are cheaper for Americans to buy, but actually they haven't been buying that much so far. So, either as you say it's too early to get a real impact um of, uh, of Brexit, you know, we, we might have to wait a few more months for that, or it might not appear in the way that we thought it might appear. Um, I think it will obviously have an impact on um, European economies more broadly, um, and that in turn will have a, if you like, an inflated effect on the on the U.S. deficit. So a, a further weakening of European economies isn't going to help the U.S. export situation one bit. The flip side, of course, is that it may make um, European manufacturers who are looking to export to the U.S. Uh, more willing to, have them put it, be accommodating on price um, and may mean that uh, there's some bargains for U.S. buyers, not, not just consumers, uh, but manufacturing companies and services companies to uh, get some good deals.
0: Can a direct line be drawn between U.S. interest rates and the U.S. balance of trade? And if so, if interest rates, when and if they finally do begin to go back up again, what impact do you think that might have on the U.S. balance of trade?
1: Yeah, so it's not a direct impact. Um, clearly interest rates drive consumer spending. Uh, higher interest rates are going to cut people's disposable incomes. It'll have an impact on industrial activity. It'll become more expensive to borrow money and therefore to grow. Uh, it'll also increase trade financing costs as well. So, you know, factoring, um, overnight borrowing and so on will become more expensive. So it will affect both imports and exports. Now, Clearly, if anything, higher interest rates in the US, but not anywhere else, which seems to be everyone's kind of core scenario at the moment, will mean, if anything, the US imports less than it did in the past, the export situation won't necessarily change very much, and therefore the trade deficit, if anything, would come down in the event of higher interest rates uh, on the goods side. Um, From a services side, obviously, higher interest rates will help the banks, it'll help the insurance companies, um, and that should mean that trade in services will actually increase. The US... People often forget runs a surplus in services, so it should push up the uh, the exports of, of services. So again, that should act to um, narrow the trade deficit overall. So not a direct impact, but plenty of indirect impacts for that to uh, for that to occur. Now, clearly, the the other part of it is what does it do to the dollar? Uh, obviously, it lead to further strengthening of the dollar. Much of the increase we saw um, in the dollar versus its versus other currencies was driven by the initial expectations of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, you may get another round of strengthening of the dollar. That obviously would act as a drag on all of those factors. So, as I said before, you know, trades messy, Uh, rising interest rates should reduce the deficit, but, uh, you know, it's far from a clear-cut picture.
0: And then finally, in the short term, we probably shouldn't expect any better news soon because we are now moving or are now in the peak shipping season for imports coming into this country for the holiday shopping season. So I would assume the next report wouldn't we wouldn't be surprised if imports were up there and the and the GAT trade gap were even wider. Is that a possibility?
1: It is. I mean, Panjiva's data for um, July, um, just relying on seaborne imports, and as we've discussed, that's not the whole picture by any stretch of the imagination, um, suggests that imports actually increased by about 1% in July. Clearly, there's a lot of other parts to come in. We need to see the import uh, pricing numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. We need to see the airborne data. But, you know, the very early data point we've got is that imports are going to increase again. Uh, that may well mean that we see another step up in the deficit.
0: Okay, well, we will see what happens. But in the meantime, Chris Rogers, I want to thank you so much for joining us to give us this snapshot of the U.S. global trade deficit according to Pangeva's numbers and perspective. Thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Thanks very much, Bob.
0: That was my conversation with Chris Rogers of Pangeva talking about the reasons behind the widening U.S. trade deficit at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.